Okay, so Green New Deal. Yeah. <laughs> you just gave me a look like, yes. How much did you watch the reaction to it from politicians? Pretty closely. Um, Henry Grabar is a writer here at Slate. I don't know if you recall, but last week there was a, there was a complicated rollout. You hear the way Henry says complicated? Like, here we go again. Henry describes it as a pretty straightforward resolution. You know, a little four-page proposal with a lot of very vague provisions. But then there was this press release. That came from Ocasio-Cortez's office, styled as an FAQ, and that they later said was released by mistake. And that document is where all the crazy stuff that became GOP memes in the subsequent week came from. This press release, it talked about reducing greenhouse gas emissions by getting rid of farting cows. It also talks about getting rid of airplanes. How much money, how many miles I have on Delta, Jillian? And it's all going to go to waste. What am I going to use them for? There are no planes. And it wasn't just Fox News that latched on to these ideas. Representative Liz Cheney called out the document in a subcommittee hearing. When we outlaw plane travel, we outlaw gasoline, we outlaw cars, I think actually probably the entire U.S. military because of the Green New Deal. And even She joked that representatives from California would have to bike home. She wondered if there would be some kind of federal appointee whose whole job would be approving your vacation flights. I'm not an expert on the Green New Deal. Okay, the gentlelady yields for a correction on Mr. how she's badly mischaracterizing no, I, I won't the resolution yield. Mr. Huffman, the you, Mr. Huffman, you this had is plenty fiction. of time. This Mr. Entire Huffman, line of I'd like to have my time restored, please. Now. Henry isn't really surprised that this is where the debate over the Green New Deal has landed. Because even if we aren't getting rid of airplanes, if we want to address global warming, we're going to have to change something about how we get from place to place. Pretty drastically. Transportation is now our number one greenhouse gas problem, and it accounts for more than 50 percent of greenhouse gas growth in the United States since 1990. So to me, it's kind of the elephant in the room and no one wants to address it. The reason no one wants to address this is that it's just flat out hard today on the show. Henry's going to tell us a bit of a cautionary tale about what happened when one state tried to make transportation greener. The voters were behind it. So were the politicians. So what got in the way? And what does it mean about the future of a Green New Deal? I'm Mary Harris. You are listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The state we're going to talk about is California. And the way California was going to solve their transportation mess was with high-speed rail. This was back in 2008. Congress gave California money for the project as part of the stimulus package. Uh, I think this was rightly seen as a really great place to begin what the Obama administration thought was going to be 
a generational investment in high-speed rail that was going to change the way Americans traveled and bring cities closer together and provide a sort of a stimulus and a jobs program and all that. And it did not come to pass. Earlier this week, the new governor of California, Gavin Newsom, declared that a large portion of this project was dead. Let's level about the high-speed rail. Let's be real. The current project, as planned, would cost too much and respectfully take too long. Right now, there simply isn't a path to get from Sacramento to San Diego, let alone from San Francisco to L.A. I wish there were. What was it supposed to be? Like in the vision, like what am I doing? I'm like getting on the train at Union Station in Los Angeles. Like what what does it look like? Uh, The vision was you were going to get on a train, maybe take the subway downtown in L.A., maybe take a cab, get on the train, train leaving every hour for San Francisco, and you'd be there in under four hours. Wow. And that was rightly seen as that's the best route that the country has right now for high-speed rail. There are fourteen to 15,000 people who fly between those cities every day. Between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Yeah. And that was 10 years ago. I'm looking at an old government report on this, uh, and that doesn't include places in between. And then there are people driving, too. And then there are people driving as well. Part of what I think is so interesting about high-speed rail in California is that it was a ballot initiative. Like, voters wanted it. Yeah, and that's actually where the problem started. Tell me about that. What What were some of the other problems that you saw that you were like, this, this is where this really went off the rails, so to speak? Okay, so let's take them in order. Number one, the ballot initiative, which bound them to the particular language that was outlined in, in, in what was voted on. And so now if they don't meet the stipulations from the ballot measure there could be a lawsuit. And so they can't really change the plans, at Mm. least as far as the $10 billion coming from that ballot measure is concerned. Number two, Congress and the Obama administration kind of rushed them into getting started on this because the Stimulus Act was designed to pump money into the economy during the recession. It was not designed to contribute $10 billion to California 10 years down the road. So they had to spend the money really quickly which meant that they got the project underway before they had done their due diligence in many ways. And as a result, they, you know, they basically drew a line on a map and they were like, okay, that's where it's going. And they didn't talk to any landowners. And so they wound up with a ton of lawsuits and problems with land acquisition and the right of way. And all that has contributed to the delay and the escalating costs. Hmm. Number three, They rebuffed interest from the French and Chinese rail companies to just build the thing. We don't. Why? Because, you know, it was an American pride thing. They didn't want the French coming in. And at the time, there had recently been this high speed rail accident in China. And I don't think that would have been politically palatable. And so they said they wanted to do it themselves. And we don't know how to do high speed rail. We've never done it before. And I think that that is basically what this project (laughs) ended up showing. Well, I was just going to say, like, a lot of Republicans looking at the Green New Deal have also looked at what's happening in California and said, see, this is a great example of why this is pie in the sky and it can't work. Do you think that criticism is fair? In some ways, yes. 
because California was supposed to be the flagship project. But if you look closely at it, I think you can also see that the California project went wrong in ways that do not reflect on high-speed rail as a concept, but reflect on California's mistakes in building it. The bad news, obviously, is that right at the moment when we're talking about getting back into high-speed rail as a national concept, we've got this really well-publicized boondoggle in California. I mean, some people have said we don't have the technology straight up to build these trains. Is that true? No, I think we can build them. Uh, Well, okay, I should say they can be built. Can American engineers handle it? I'm not sure. I don't think it would have been a bad idea to accept the SNCF's offer to come in and just do the thing. That's the French railway system. Right. The high-speed rail lines are new. They're not converting old tracks. They're building this new in France and in Japan and in China. So to some extent, what they've done there is not irrelevant to what we're doing here. And I think that expertise probably should have been put to use. It's interesting, though. You're talking about France, Japan and China. They're either countries that are much smaller or much more authoritarian than we are. And I wonder (laughs) what that means about what it takes to get a big project like this done. Yeah, well, I think one thing to consider when we talk about size is that no plan for high-speed rail in the United States should ever aim to draw a bunch of lines between all the nation's cities. We are not trying to replace air travel in the United States. No tracks from sea to shining sea. No. High-speed rail has to be concentrated in and around the big population centers. You know, America's population is projected to grow by 100 million people in the next 30 years. And that only makes it a, a more appealing proposition. Uh, So I would say that the size of America is only relevant insofar as we have a lot of legislators from places that will not be direct beneficiaries of this investment. And that creates a political problem. But where does that leave California? They've still got billions of dollars from Congress and a promise to keep. The governor knows it. We do have the capacity to complete a high-speed rail link between Merced and Bakersfield. Now, I know, I know some critics are going to say, well, that's a train to nowhere. But I think that's wrong, and I think that's offensive. They deserve better. And the high-speed rail project can be part of that. The train line the governor is saying he still plans to finish would run less than 200 miles. But I asked Henry if some good could come from this failed experiment anyway. I don't know. (laughs) The look on your face is just precious right now. You're like, I mean, it's really just the worst of all possible worlds because they have to build this because of because of their commitments, both to the the voters who approved the money and to Congress that gave them the money. But when it's done, I don't think it's going to be a very convincing prototype. Yes, it will have two rails and a train will run on them. But if you want to take it beyond that, I mean, What I like about talking about the high-speed rail is that I think a lot of the criticism of the Green New Deal is it's too big. It's too much. You know, you're you're thinking too big. And that's kind of what these high-speed rail systems are. It's like a reimagining. It's a smaller reimagining, but it's part of it. I just look at how we've screwed that up over and over again. And it just makes me wonder, like, how are we going to get past that? to get over this hurdle of doing the kind of legislation we need to do 
to get the environmental impact we know we need to have? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, if you're concerned about climate change, it is hard to think of any action that seems sufficient, really, to tackle the scale of the problem that we're facing. I think as the octogenarians make their way out of Congress, that that perception is going to become more widespread. I feel a little optimistic that at some point something like this will get will get built. But California's or at least this 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 edition of the project has 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 not been very reassuring. Henry Graybar, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me about your reporting. My pleasure. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. Enjoy the long weekend if you're getting one. I'm going to see you back here Tuesday morning. <laughs>